0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: A literal fairy tale. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town.
2: Tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, and like I've mentioned before, maybe not totally my jam of an American holiday, but there is such a wealth of history around Ireland that, you know, I'm warming up to it. I mean, maybe a couple more green jello shots, who knows what'll happen. But today, we're going to talk about an interesting case, something that I've been thinking about for a while, something that's very appropriate to where we are right now, a tale that includes fairies, feminism, fraud, and of course, murder, and more fairies. Today, we're talking about the death of Bridget Cleary, the Irish fairy wife. Bridget Boland was born in 1869 in Ballyvadlia, County Tipperary, Ireland. Apologies if I mispronounced that. At 18, Bridget was working as a dressmaker's apprentice and met a cooper named Michael Cleary, nine years her senior. In August 1887, the two were married. Michael Cleary lived in Clonmel, about 120 miles from Bridget's hometown. Bridget returned home to live with her parents, while Michael continued to work as a cooper in Clonmel. During this period of living apart, Bridget's independence grew both emotionally and financially. Also very unusual for a newly married teenager. Bridget did things for herself, most notably her growing businesses. One was selling eggs. Bridget kept a flock of chickens and sold eggs to her neighbors. Her other was sewing. Bridget bought herself a singer sewing machine, state-of-the-art technology at the time, and made dresses and hats for the neighborhood. Two eventually moved in together, and Bridget kept up her independent lifestyle. Despite their eight years of marriage, the couple had no children. Following the death of Bridget's mother, the Clearies found themselves responsible for Bridget's elderly father, Patrick Boland. The two were regarded as relatively in love and doing all right for themselves, again welcoming in family, and Bridget's cousin soon moved close by. Everything felt pretty good, pretty normal, pretty healthy. Bridget was outspoken, resourceful, fashionable, and friendly. But one other thing to note about her was that she was super, super into fairy folklore. Irish society at the time was rife with a mix of Christian and pagan ideologies. If you missed it, check out our last episode on the Hell Caves to learn more about the birth of Halloween, another story also well within the intersection of Christianity, fairies, and death. Fairy belief in particular was pretty common— Children grew up with little fairy tale rituals like leaving fairies' food on a table or saying bless them whenever fairies were mentioned. When something went wrong, you blamed fairies. If something went right, maybe fairy luck. Bridget would visit places with heavy fairy folklore. She may have visited such a spot on Monday, March 4th, 1895. An old settlement known as a fairy fort, which is, in Irish culture, a place fairies would hang out and make magic. Also culturally, not a great place to go if you were a human wary of fairies. Superstition had it that fairies did not like to be surprised or disturbed. Bridget often visited the fort, and she likely spent time there before one of her egg deliveries. The next day, the very next day, Bridget became ill, shivering and complaining of, quote, a raging pain in her head. Was it her long commutes during her egg deliveries or something else? Nobody quite knew. Her doctor wasn't able to visit until the following Wednesday, and by then Bridget's husband Michael and her father were both desperate to get anyone to see her. The doctor eventually came and diagnosed Bridget with a, quote, nervous excitement and slight bronchitis. But Michael was convinced it wasn't that at all. In his own words, Michael thought Bridget had gotten, quote, too fine and that she was, quote, two inches taller than before. At some point, Michael says, he developed the belief that Bridget had been replaced by a fairy changeling as she passed near the fairy fort days before. So why the fuck did Michael, a grown man, think his wife turned into a mythological creature? It might have been a friend of his priest by the name of Jack Dunn. A 55-year-old Dunn was a local storyteller, kind of shamanistic grifter pseudo-doctor. You can probably tell how I feel about this guy. So after the doctor came, a priest visited who decided to administer Bridget's last rites in case things went south. The priest talked to Dunn, who urged him to act immediately, or the real Bridget would be lost forever. Quote, it is not your wife in there, Dunn reminded him. Dunn sent Michael to a man named Dennis Ganey to help bring his wife back from the fairy world. Yes, Michael took his advice and visited the local fairy doctor the following morning. Michael came back with a mixture of herbs that he boiled in milk and forced Bridget to drink it, while Dunn and three male cousins pinned her down in the bed. Relatives outside the house heard someone, likely Michael, shouting, "'Take it, you witch, or I'll kill you.'" The men threw urine at her and shook her, yelling, "'Away with you. Come home, Bridget Boland, in the name of God.'" It was chaos. Michael would ask his wife to answer her name three times. "'Are you Bridget Boland, wife of Michael Cleary, in the name of God?' The men then brought her to the fireplace and held her over the grate. Fire was known to drive away fairies, while they repeated the questioning. Many other friends and family who came to check on poor Bridget witnessed some of this ordeal, but everyone was too scared to do anything about it. By midnight Thursday night, Bridget was, quote, wild and deranged, according to her cousin, but Michael and his men had stopped torturing her. The following morning, the priest said mass in Bridget's bedroom in order to banish any leftover evil spirits. On Friday, March 15th, for the first time in 11 days, Bridget got out of bed and got dressed. She took a walk. Then, as you might, after being sick for a long time, she asked for something to drink. Maybe some milk. Unfortunately, milk is a beverage fairies love, which rekindled Michael's paranoia. He demanded that she eat three pieces of bread and jam and identify herself to him. She answered who she was and then ate two of the three pieces of bread. When she hesitated for a moment before consuming the third, her husband threw her on the ground, threatened her, saying, quote, if you won't take it, down you will go. Michael forced the bread down his wife's throat and then he just broke. He tore at her clothes, grabbed a hot stick from the fire and set her clothes ablaze. Within a few minutes, he also poured lamp oil over her and she was fully on fire, burning alive. Crazily enough, as if this is already not hard to take in, Michael was not alone during all of this. As he murdered his wife, his relatives looked on in shock. Michael repeated to them, quote, she's not my wife. She's an old deceiver sent in place of my wife. Bridget's family yelled at Michael to put out the flames immediately, but Bridget was too blazed up all in a minute, according to their later testimony. After they realized their powerlessness, Bridget's family huddled in fear in a nearby bedroom, waiting for it all to be over. Once the fire died down, Michael wrapped Bridget's body in a sheet and shoved it in an old bag. Then he left, locking Bridget's relatives inside with her body. They prayed until Michael returned. When he got back, Michael threatened to kill Bridget's cousin Patrick if he didn't help bury Bridget's body. "'Come on out here now,' he shouted. "'I have the hole nearly made.' The two men carried the body to a boggy area about a quarter mile uphill from the cottage and buried Bridget's body in a shallow hole. Back at the cottage, Michael made the rest of the family promise they wouldn't tell anyone what he had done. It's important to note that while she was still sick, Bridget was visited by her aunt, Mary Kennedy, and she told her, Michael's making a fairy of me now. He thought to burn me about three months ago. Three months ago, again, from this whole incident. Sources also say that at some point, Bridget told Michael that the only person who'd gone off with the fairies had been his mother. Strange conversation, again, but there had been some discourse, over the course of months, maybe even years, probably very serious discourse, around fairy interaction, both past and present. The next morning, Michael met Dunn at church, telling him everything. Dunn went to the church minister to try to figure out if he could convince Michael to rebury Bridget in a Christian way. The church minister like the only sane guy in this whole story, immediately reported their conversation to a police sergeant. On that note, let's take a break.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie Mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A N G I dot com.
1: Hi, hello. How are you? Hello. How are you doing?
0: Are you okay? We're
1: checking in.
2: This is the check-in.
1: This You're is here it for it. Love it or leave it. Leave it. it? Okay. Yeah, leave it. Sure. Why not? Ooh. We get it. Mm-hmm. We want to say hello to anyone who's listening. Anyone who supports the show, and of course, our beloved fairy or non-fairy patrons. Yeah,
2: you're probably mythological. They're, you're mythological in my mind.
1: Yeah, in a good way though. In a great way. We want to say hello to our government. hmm We got the mayors. The mayors. In the house. We got Dar Rosenzweig. Hello. Check. <laughs> we got David Bull. Hello. Check.
2: Oh, we're doing checks now. I like it.
1: Switching it up. <laughs> we got Ashley Matson. Hello. Check. <laughs> we got James Harrington. Hello. Check. <laughs> and the new kid on the block. Oh, what up? New law enforcement in a good way. Cat Josel.
2: Check. Can I say it? Do I get to say it?
1: Hello. <laughs> Yeah, okay, why not? <laughs> it's it's a, it's it's Freaky Friday on Wednesday. Woo! So if you want early access, bonus episodes, no ads or any of this chit chat. No garbage talk. Go to patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Well, I just, before I came here, I went and visited the Lincoln Heights Jail.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not... Far from where we are right now. Mm-mm. And what's significant about this jail is it is very abandoned, very haunted. Wow. So I went, took some pictures, tried to get and in, see inside as much as I could. You really mm-hmm. can't. But it is still like, in it's Art Deco. It's like, a, you know, a, a landmark status. Yeah. And, you know, filming location of like many, like the boiler scene in Nightmare on Elm Street. Hell yeah. And many other... That I'll talk about, and we'll talk about in a future episode. We need a little abandoned, a little haunted, yeah, little LA all wrapped into one. To
2: it, a little teaser for for a future episode. I like it.
1: Yeah. So coming attraction. You know what I mean? Let that eat at you, (laughs) (laughs) day in until it consumes you. Day out. (laughs) It was very. I'll tell you, it's very. I expected it if it was going to look the way it was going to look. Because you know Mm -hmm. the pictures, you don't know what changes. It was very quiet. Like, I expected there to be a lot of – there would be some bikes that rode mm. by, but it was just, like, extremely – I was like, why are there not more people here just, like, hanging out, I guess? I sometimes you expect that in, yeah. in, in L.A. You know, people are just using it to place to hang out. I don't know. But, no, it was just super quiet. Ooh, so That's also
2: – I mean, again, we've talked a little bit about this, how you maybe are a little bit sensitive to energy, even saying that I feel like a white woman. But, like – I don't know. Did you feel weird there? Did you have, like, a strange or just quiet?
1: It was very quiet, and I find my I found myself, like, kind of turning around, looking over my shoulder a lot,
2: mm-hmm.
1: maybe expecting there to be people or something like that. I found mm-hmm. myself doing that a lot, and, you know, mm-hmm. listen, who knows? It was probably something maybe I was just kind of manifesting yeah. in my mind, but... Yeah, the energy there is weird, and it's like a nice day out too. It's not yeah. like it's gloomy or it's a anything. Beautiful day, low seventies. That's right. Couldn't ask for better weather, and it's still just—it's just such a Goliath of a place. It's kind of like looking down at you. Mm. So,
2: okay, I'm gonna visit. I gotta go. Future visit. episode,
1: and I'll throw some pics and vids up on Ghost Town Pod or mm-hmm. the Jason Horton on Instagram or wherever. Maybe yeah, to kind of to have it eat at you some more. Let Please it consume you. Please. So there's nothing left.
2: There so there's nothing left. We'll save a little bit of that nothing left for the rest of this episode, because we're going to get back to Ireland. For the next few days, the police searched for Bridget Cleary and questioned friends and family, including her husband, Michael. His statement gave police concern, and rightfully so. He said he hoped his, quote, real wife would come back. He said that for three nights, he waited at the nearby ferry fort, the one that she used to hang out at, where he believed Bridget would appear, galloping in on a white horse. He said he would only have to cut the ropes that bound her to the animal, and she would be his forever. On Wednesday, March 20th, the Royal Irish Constables issued arrest warrants for nine people from Bridget's circle, including Michael, Dunn, Bridget's cousins, father, even Dennis Ganey, the fairy doctor. All brought in on charges of wounding. Two days later, police found Bridget's body. The trial was very high profile and very hands-on, for lack of a better term. Here's an example. As part of the trial, the jury was actually led out to the storage building where Bridget's body was being held for burial and given the opportunity to see the condition of the body and to personally verify that the body was actually hers. What the jury saw was grotesque and shocking. The remains of a woman burned alive and the horrible suffering Bridget probably endured prior to her death was not lost on these people. On July 5th, 1895, after a two-day trial, Michael was found guilty of manslaughter and imprisoned, along with Jack Dunn and four of Bridget's other cousins, including Patrick Kennedy. The judge, surprisingly, ruled out a verdict of murder, explaining that they all had acted out of a genuine belief that Bridget Cleary was a fucking fairy. Michael was released in 1910 and promptly left Ireland for Montreal. Dunn served a three-year prison sentence before returning to the area where he kept working as a laborer. Not long after he killed his wife, Michael reportedly said, quote, God knows I would never do it, but for Jack Dunn, it was he who told me my wife was a fairy. So, okay. The larger question is, what made Michael Cleary kill his own wife? This is the discourse around this. There's not a lot of mystery to the events, but the motives, perhaps less clear. So our options are, one, he really thought she was a fairy. Two, an undiagnosed psychosis. Although nobody in this gruesome story was ever psychiatrically assessed, I found a 2006 article from the Irish Journal of Medical Science that suggests that Michael may have been suffering from a psychotic state known as Capgrass syndrome, which is the belief that a person has been replaced by an imposter. The authors suggest that Michael, quote, may have developed a brief psychotic episode as he struggled to deal with his wife's illness, sleep deprivation, and maybe even the recent death of his father, news of which had reached him in the middle of this whole ordeal. In Capgras Syndrome, the sociocultural context of the sufferer determines the nature of the imposter, according to the article, which can be human, a ghost, or even a fairy changeling. Three... Michael hated his wife's independence, and the dynamics of Irish life were changing overall. It's important to note that Bridget Cleary was a modern woman. She was fashionable, independent. She was also childless, which left her a lot of freedom that Irish women at the time, you know, due to motherhood, maybe couldn't have or didn't afford. That notion might have made her appear to her husband and to others as strange, foreign, and threatening. Also, at the time, Ireland was modernizing. There was this push and pull of new and old. Press coverage of the Cleary case occurred in an atmosphere of debate over the Irish people's ability to govern themselves, and rural Catholics were behind the curve, superstitious, conservative, and arcane. Or the last reason, he just wanted out of the marriage. For lots of reasons, some people think that Michael was having an affair or, again, fell out of love, wanted to be out of the situation that he was in. Maybe it was a combination of all of these factors.
1: I think it could be a combination of all of those, Mm -hmm. possibly. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. It doesn't seem far from witch trials of a few hundred years previous to Exorcisms?
2: Absolutely. This reminds me a lot of episodes that we've covered about exorcisms and the way that they're handled. Bridget Cleary's death is often described as the last witch burned in Ireland, even though it's not really about witchcraft per se.
1: It seems like a lot of effort for him to kill her if he was just like, ugh. I'm done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of work in theatrics, or maybe that's what it takes to do that—to take this germ of something that seems like he'd get away with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It just seems like a lot of effort to do that when he maybe could have just uh, maybe just poisoned her.
2: Yeah, or just bailed on the whole. Like, couldn't he have just
1: left? We wouldn't have many episodes if that was the case. If people just walked away from <laughs> that's things, very true. unfortunately. Yeah. Why? Why don't people just
2: go? Divorce. And I would
1: say it's of the time, but it's not of the time. No,
2: no, not at all. Because it
1: happens all the time. For some Absolutely. reason, people have to stay with it to the end, but they make it the end. So they are, I guess, right until the end in their own minds. I don't yeah, know.
2: just completely insane. Today, in the modern town of Tipperary, Bridget Cleary's story is definitely not forgotten. A nursery rhyme of the area perpetuates this strange murder. A line of it says, are you a witch or are you a fairy or are you the wife of Michael Clary?
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well.